Welcome back, baseball fans, to episode 26 of the Banished to the Pen podcast, the audio component of the website, Banished to the Pen, a group baseball blog produced by the fans of Effectively Wild podcast. I am your host, Ryan Sullivan, editor-in-chief of NatsGM.com and the Baron of All baseball podcasts. This week, I am excited to welcome back two members, key members at that, of the Banished to the Pen team, Ross Buckowitz. And Mike Carlucci. Welcome back, guys. Good to be back. Yeah, thank, thanks for having me. Well, I'm glad to have you guys both back. Uh, it's been a little too long for both of you. So uh, good to have you back. Make your acquaintance, which is always kind of the first place we want to start is let's go in alphabetical order. Ross, we're going to start with you. Uh, introduce, reintroduce yourself, I guess I should say, to the audience. You know, Twitter handle, which team you follow day job any kind of fun information you want to share oh uh, yeah well, as ryan said my name is ross buckwitz uh my twitter handle is just my first name uh last name all lowercase uh i'm a brewers fan live in milwaukee um i actually i don't know if people remember i was the uh cpa who was recording a podcast the day before tax day last time and uh <laughs> i don't i actually started a new job since then so that's fun it was just last week um Congratulations. Thank you, thank you. It's at my alma mater, so that's cool. Yeah, that's pretty much it. Well, very, very cool. Congratulations. I'm glad to hear that good news about the new job. Everybody seems to be getting new jobs when they come on the podcast. I don't know what it is about this thing. So, uh, anyways, uh, Mike, same kind of question to you. Yeah, uh, Mike Carlucci. live out in Boston. I'm a fan of the, 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 uh, the Boston Brock Holtz. Uh, used to be the Red Sox. Uh, by day, I do uh, education stats, and uh, I didn't get a new job, but I did get a new nameplate on my door. I don't know if that counts. No, that totally counts. Sometimes that's more important than the job title. That definitely counts. Yeah, Twitter's just first name, last name, Mike Carlucci. Well, very cool. Very good to have you guys back. I am. Uh, I'm amazed that somehow I have two. Uh, fans of teams that will be sellers somehow in about the next six weeks it looks like in the standings so uh very rare to have so many a couple of guys with teams struggling so uh i don't know how to transition we're going to transition there and uh let's talk all-star game guys it looks like the uh i guess the announcements of the rosters were made depending on when everybody's downloading this just in the last 48 hours or so um i'll start with mike and i'll throw it to you um Kind of overall thoughts, roster-wise, any snubs, anybody you, you were happy that made it? It Just general thoughts? I, I mean, it's obvious Red Sox didn't have a lot of contenders, but I was really glad that Josh Donaldson, uh, I mean, lead, lead vote-getter, uh, and, you know, making it out of, out of Toronto now. Uh, a lot of people weren't, weren't really sure. It looked like, you know, there was a, a movement of, oh, Billy Bean's just selling high. Donaldson's, you know, overrated. He had a late breakout. And he just came out this year un- unbelievable. Yeah, he's been a true star. And like you say, that, that uh, I was stunned to see that, not that Donaldson, you know, was, was an all-star or anything of that nature, but just to see him get so many votes was, was definitely a surprise to me. Uh, Ross, your thoughts? Um, 
I think it's pretty fine roster. I know it's too hard to complain about being a snub because, I don't know, looking at these rosters, I don't know who I would honestly take off. Like, you know, Clayton Kershaw didn't make it, but, I mean, who's having the worst year of those starters that did make it for the NL? Madison Bumgarner? I mean, are you really going to complain that Madison Bumgarner is an all-star? So it's just, you know, the only thing is the that whole every team has to be represented, so let's just take the closer of a bunch of crappy teams like the Phillies and the Brewers. You know, kind of silly, and it's not like I'm going to tune in to this game to see Francisco Rodriguez maybe pitch the sixth inning there. I do kind of wish that they had left Chris Bryant off just so that he could be the guy in that final vote the way Bryce Harper was when he was a younger guy to kind of drive interest in that. You know, you just think that MLB would have done something like that. But, I mean, the fact that he made it, you know, he's an exciting young player. Looks like he's going to be a star. So, again, are you going to really complain that he made the roster? Either way, you want somebody like that in the game. But, but yeah. and, and you touched on something, and it was a bit off air, but you mentioned it a second as well. Are we past the time where we need to have every team represented? It, have we reached the point where that is kind of passe or, you know, old school in, in a bad connotation? I, I don't know. I certainly, you know, I remember the years when the Nationals were god-awful, and I certainly didn't tune into the game to see if Chad Cordero got to pitch or whoever it was, Christian Guzman, the one year. So uh, I know you guys, uh, you know, Milwaukee's been kind of a tough franchise the last few years. Do you guys, what do you guys think about that? Uh, you know, it's with the 35-man roster, however many, and it's going to end up being probably 40 in each league by the time you have, all the injury replacements and the pitchers that can't pitch anyway, I guess. I don't care, really. I do think it's silly because, you know, like I said, I'm not watching it just to see K-Rod pitch. I think the last time I watched the All-Star game from start to finish was 2011, and that's only because the Brewers were awesome and had four or five All-Stars, and, you know, I thought they were going to gonna compete to go to the World Series, so it actually mattered. But, I mean, I guess for kids maybe it's important but yeah for me i don't i don't have a strong enough feeling either way to really argue for or against it mike summarize my feelings well as a team that now has the the mandatory guy i'm not just going to defend it um but i i kind of think it doesn't need to be a rule like someone from the 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 Red Sox would have made it. Someone from the Brewers would have made it. Uh, you know, even even someone like like Aramis Ramirez could have been represented, or you know, Mookie Betts. Uh, in in another year, uh, David Ortiz would would just get on. Someone would would find a way. I I think uh, it does get a little forced for for some teams, but I. I guess if you were going to end up with 27 or 28 teams represented, then you might as well go for the league. But Yeah, I, I, I tend to kind of – I think I'm kind of somewhere in the middle of both of you guys. It's, it, it seems silly to me, but if it gets any 11-year-old kid to watch the game that Francisco Rodriguez might pitch for them or you know name the poor team with one representative, Jonathan Papelbon – I guess, like you say, if 27 or 28 teams are going to be represented, then why can't we have every team? So, I don't know. I think it feels a little silly, but at the end of the day, it would also probably feel even sillier on the other end if, you know, all of a sudden teams didn't have to be representative or represented. 
Well, didn't last year, wasn't Jeff Samarja the Cubs' only representative last year, and then he uh, wasn't even a Cub anymore by the time the game came around? Or There was something like that in the last few years where a guy made it, got traded to the other league, and he was his team's only representative. I, I think that's funny, actually. Well, Just selecting a guy from 29 teams would be silly, but you know, something really stupid like that happening, I think, is kind of funny. Well, and but it also shows how, how rare these midseason deals are for All-Stars as well. But uh, <laughs> what, what are your guys, just a, another question uh, about the All-Star game. What is your favorite part of the All-Star game festivities? Ross, go ahead. Uh, I actually, probably the Futures game. Um, you know, when I was a kid, it was the Home Run Derby. But now that I'm an adult and, like, the home runs don't, it's not as big of a spectacle unless, you know, you had Josh Hamilton hitting 30 in a round or something like that. I don't care. But, yeah, it's definitely the Futures game because you get to see the, you know, the young guys that are the future stars of the league that are going to be, they get that bright stage, those bright lights for the first time, get some national attention. I mean, I'm much more excited to see Orlando Arcia play shortstop or second base or whatever for the world team than I am. You know, whoever would have made it for the big league club because, yeah, we stink. But you know, that double A team down in Biloxi is doing something big, and Arcia's been shooting up prospect lists. I know he was, what I think Keith Law had him twentieth, uh, BP had him thirty-one, and I saw in Baseball America's midseason list today he was eighth. So you know, I'm much more excited to see that you know the young up and coming twenty-year-old shortstop for my favorite team or whoever else is making it that it's prospect I might not have seen play yet than I am the uh, big leaguers who I can you know pull up a highlight of them on ESPN.com instantly on my cell phone whereas I don't get to see those minor leaguers all the time so I, I'm, I'd say the futures game Mike kind of same question I think well, this, this is heavily influenced from the last couple of weeks uh, I think the in, the introductions <clears throat> through the first inning because I, I just rewatched. Um, the 1999 All Star Game, uh, only the first like inning, inning or two, <laughs> and it's it's just unbelievable. Uh, you know, Pedro strikes out five of six. The the roster, everyone is hitting, you know, 35 home runs. Like Manny, I think had 109 RBI, and it's just I, I'm going to be really interested to watch the introductions and see how I feel about the current group of all-stars. Cause looking, looking back on the all-star game, it's so amazing. You, and you, you feel like a kid again, looking at it and you're like, these are all the best players. <laughs> I'm not sure today's lineup, you know, is as good as nine, but I, I, I want to see that. I want to see the starter come out and have that classic matchup where he's literally facing an all-star team. And to kind of piggyback off of that, I do like the, uh, you can kind of extend it to when it's a guy's going away party, like in what was that, 2003 when A-Rod went and uh, had Cal Ripken go play shortstop and then he turned around in his first at bat and ripped a home run to be the all-star MVP. Like the sentimentality of it is, if there's something like that, is always going to get me and make me feel like a kid, like you said, even if maybe the, the, if it's any old all-star game wouldn't be as fun, but yeah, I do see the feeling like a kid point again. That is well, something I, I, I always look forward to. 
and I'm going to give a plug to uh, the Futures game just like Ross did. I, I think it's really the Internet has exploded prospect rankings and knowledge in the last five years or so, and, and this game is really an opportunity where you can see you know, a Lucas Giolito go against an Arcia from Milwaukee where you may never see those guys because they're either at different levels or different, uh, whatever you call it, different uh, leagues. So I, I think that's the very interesting thing, I think, to be able to get 60 of the best players or best prospects from around, you know, both internationally and in the Americas to uh, play against each other is a pretty neat experience. It's on Sunday, so uh, cheap plug if not if they need it by any stretch. But uh, check it out. I think it's by far the coolest thing that they do in uh, All-Star Weekend. I will say I, I am looking forward to seeing the new rules for the Home Run Derby. Maybe that will speed it up or maybe that will make it a little better too. Yeah, that that definitely intrigued me because that's the problem is that first round when it's eight guys can kind of drag on a little bit. So it's forever, and that's what kills it. it. Like you say, it's not the second or the third round; it's it's the first round where it takes two hours to get through. Mm-hmm. So, all right, guys, I think we've covered the All Star Game pretty well. Uh, I'm sure we'll be talking about you know the results probably next show or the show afterwards. So, well. I'm going to try to move ahead here, and I, I want to talk about maybe the most uh, under-the-radar team in, in Major League Baseball right now, the Pittsburgh Pirates. Uh, Second-best record in baseball, second or third, depending on how you look at it with Houston right now. And they've got a couple all-stars. Sure, everybody knows McCutcheon. Um, certainly people are starting to get to know Garrett Cole and some other names, but uh, I don't know which one of you guys wants to start, but uh, let's talk some pirates. Uh, Ross has started the last couple times. Mar- uh, Mike, let's uh, let's go to you. Just floor with the pirates. Okay, I I think it's really amazing that what what they've done. Uh, they've completely turned the team around in the last couple of years. The pirates are now the the place where guys want want to go go play. McCutcheon signed an extension. Uh, I don't know. Uh, you you were talking a little about this before before the show, but the, the Pirates last year had you know had a power lineup, and this year you know it, think things have happened. Uh, Josh Harrison didn't didn't return. Uh, you know they they lost Russell Martin, but re- replaced him with Francisco Cervelli, who is now hitting out of his mind. Uh, you know he never. He never really got a chance to play full time before, but now, you know, he's 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 got that. He, he doesn't hit. You know, he doesn't hit for power. Uh, it's probably some probably some bad luck, but he's got, you know, uh, he's drawing some walks. And he's you know somehow hitting almost three hundred. You know, Chris Stewart, the backup too, has been doing a nice job helping him as well. He's batting near three hundred as well. Yeah, and how long has Chris Chris Stewart just been kicking around the National League? It, it feels like forever, and he gets to be on, uh, you know, on on not not just a good a good team, but an an exciting team that uh, you know people people still don't don't respect the the Pirates because they're in the division with the Cardinals, and uh, you know Theo Epstein's magical Cubs. But it's an interesting dynamic, like you're saying. You know, I think the last year we were looking at a team that slugged their way, or the last couple of years, frankly, to success. And this year it's now the front of the rotation is Garrett Cole. A.J. Burnett has been, you know, a godsend for them. Liriano's pitched terrifically again. And, and then their bullpen, Melanson's been 
Uh, you know, he's an all-star. He's been maybe the best reliever in the National League in some ways. Uh, Watson and a couple of the other guys, you know, their setup guys have been great too. It's more pitching, uh, maybe defense to a certain degree, and then and occasional home run power. And it's definitely what we're saying the Cardinals. It's tough. To, it's tough to think about a team that's the second best team in baseball, and yet they're still six games back in their division because they happen to play with the team that's going to go win 104, 105 games this year and be the best team in baseball. But then, you know, the Pirates are legitimately a great, have a ridiculous pitching staff. I mean, with those, the top three of that rotation, three out of every five days, they're going to have a great chance to get a win because they just, they're not give those three guys aren't giving up any runs. And then, you know, if they can scrape together enough to, win when a guy like uh, Jeff Locke or um, Worley or Morton, uh, four or five guys are starting. Yeah, that's that's pretty well to a 94-95 win team right there, but they're still going to ha- just happen to not be anywhere near their own efficient title. It's amazing that they've been able to slide. Yeah, like we said, they're just kind of, nobody's talking about them because of all the other storylines. So it's, they're a real good team. I mean, they could you know, when you shorten up that pitching staff to just three guys in the playoffs, they're going to be dangerous. That's top of the order. They're top of the rotation, so, yeah. I always felt kind of a kinship with Pirates fans because the Pirates and the Brewers were in the same division and they were both so terrible for so long, and we had our turn, and now they're finally getting their turn to uh, have some winners to cheer for, so that's pretty cool. Well, and, this, and their offense still looking at, at a, a, you know, Polanco's got a 629 OPS right now, or, you know, Alvarez is struggling, although his OPS is pulled up heavily by the slugging. Neil Walker is still hasn't had a great season though so far. Harrison's on the DL for a few weeks. I mean, this is a team that still could see some, you know, positive regression, if that's the right word, and offensively and start hitting a little more. Oh, yeah, and, uh... Uh, Jung Ho Kang had kind of a rough start to the year, but now he kind of gotten he's kind of gotten settled and he's coming around um, at shortstop for him, right? Or I think he's been playing shortstop, maybe a little bit of third base, but he's been kind of coming around too. Uh, so maybe if, if their offense can catch up to their defense, I don't know. If, you know, they're probably just in too big of a hole to catch the Cardinals. But like I was saying, they could definitely be a dangerous team if they can get into the real playoffs and don't get caught up in the coin flip game yeah they remind me a lot of um you know in in some ways kansas city last year they got a few guys that can hit it over the wall they play great defense and they got a few good starters and a good bullpen yeah that's a pretty good analogy same thing if yeah the royals barely got through the the playing game but then they came within a couple of breaks here and there and being the world champion so before we wrap up the pirate talk, I, I think I, I should uh, force us all to make a prediction about uh, their win total and where they finish this season. So, uh, Ross, I'll start. I'll start you on the uh, hot seat. Okay, I think I'll go ninety-four wins for the Pirates, which will end up putting them third in the National League. But then, still comfortably the number one wild card team. Okay, I'm good with that. Between the Dodgers and Nationals, I think one of them will be able to catch up and end up with the second best record in, in uh, the National League. 
I think that's fair. Mike, same question. I think they're going to end up with about 93 wins. Little, little shy there. Uh, but I'm going gonna, I'm gonna to stay. I'm going to double down on my season preview prediction. And the Pirates will still finish ahead of the Cardinals. Mm, that is oh. That is good, Mike. That's a good prediction. There. Or at least it's gutsy. That's for sure. <laughs> yeah. I like but it. You're sticking your neck off there. I, they've, they've lost Holiday. They've lost Wainwright. Yadier Molina is a shadow of himself. This, 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 is, this is their best chance to do it. I do feel like the Cardinals are about due for a two for ten or two out of eight kind of stretch out of ten games that, that most teams get that they really haven't had yet. You know, I know they're about five and five out of five in the last ten, but I feel like they've got a real slow stretch coming here. Maybe it's before the All Star game, maybe it's afterwards. Like you say, a lot of injuries. Maybe, maybe I just feel like they've been playing so well for so long that you know, a little regression is probably due. Um, I'm going to go with 94 wins, kind of the same as everybody else. I see them running away with the wild card. I, I, I do think the Cubs will be there for a little bit, but I. I it's just hard to see anybody giving them any real competition here. I mean, this is a good team, and aside from their three starting pitchers that are pitching so well, nobody's really pitching significantly or playing, I should say, much above you know where the back of the baseball card says they should. So, good job to Neil Huntington turning a mid-market team, and they've been a winner now four years in a row. So, oh yeah, don't they have uh, a Young, like a pro, uh, prospect. Um, who am I trying to think of? Is it wasn't Jameson? Wasn't Jameson Tyon hurt or Tyon's hurt? Yeah, yeah. He, but they've he, still got uh, money. Maybe if he comes back, they might be able to solidify one of those four or five spots even. And well, they've got Glass now down there. Like you say, maybe a trade is in the works. They have a pretty healthy farm system. They went over slot for a bunch of years. Maybe this is the time for them to try to go get another pitcher. You know, it doesn't oh, need to be a star, but it could be, you know, an Aaron Harang type, somebody that could just be a, you know, a solid middle-of-the-road guy. And I I did not see in the last couple of days, it looks like Tyon's going to have uh, hernia surgery, so I'm likely to miss the rest of the year. So I guess he wouldn't be the guy to come up. But, yeah, they should have the uh, – I think they have a decent enough farm system. They should be able to get one of the more back-end kind of guys. Maybe even, I kind of – hope the Brewers think about trading Mike Fires, being that he's already 30 years old and if they're four or five years away from contending again he's not going to be around like uh, Nelson or Peralta would since they're younger so maybe that'd be a kind of guy if you could convince the Brewers to give him up you could probably get him for maybe a you know low level kind of lottery ticket kind of prospect so and if and if Loesch could ever get hot you know he might be a nice uh, another name yeah, I'm not just trying to pick on Milwaukee here, but he might be a name just as a 4-5, somebody that's at the end of their contract that could help, has some experience as well. Mm-hmm. Could benefit yeah. from that defense, too, now that I'm thinking out loud. Yeah, and I mean, Loesch, is, he is, you know, he's, it's been a struggle for him this year, but it's not like, I think he's still striking out guys at about, about the same rate he had, not like he's fallen off that way too badly. Yeah, he's striking, him up, striking out and walking about the same number he did last year. It's not like Babbitt's not out of control. The only thing is he's been bit by the home run bug, which could point to the fact that maybe it's the 
stuff's finally falling off the table. But yeah, if that can come back down into his career range and then his left on base percentage evens out a little bit, he could be a okay back end starter for a team to get him to the playoff push at least. Yeah, you only need the guy to give you about ten or twelve decent starts down the stretch. So Mm-hmm. So uh, Well, we're selling our teams to the Pirates. I'd just like to throw Joe Kelly in there. <laughs> um, Joe Kelly's that, a reliever, right? Uh, uh, is that kind of the way we all feel? I, I mean, you never know. Back in the National League, give him a get get some face, face a few pitchers. Work with the Pirates pitching coach. I mean, <laughs> they might be able to rehab him. And he, if not, he throws hard. Well, yeah, and, like- and Mike both got that reliever fallback. Uh, and Mike, that leads into something off script, but I would like to just uh, maybe I will ask you a little bit: Is what are the Red Sox going to do here? Uh, I, it doesn't feel like they're that far away from you know getting right back into contention, a, a real hot streak. But on the other hand, they, it seems like there are a lot of teams ahead of them with not a lot of time before the all, or before the trade deadline. Uh, I, I think it's going to it's going to depend how they finish this week. If they can take care of the Marlins and then do well against the Yankees, they they could pull within three games going into the All-Star break, which would be a miracle uh, when you consider where they were. They've got enough to to make to, to make a bit of a run. I mean, this is all Charrington's plan. He just didn't think the first half would be so bad before Eduardo Rodriguez and Brian Johnson came up from the minors. I mean, luckily for the Red Sox, uh, nobody in that division's really taking it right now. So, you know, if they do go, like you said, they can go on a little bit of a mini streak. They're going to be right back in there. They need two good starts out of Rick Porcello this week to make it happen. So, I don't know. Yeah, maybe not. <laughs> Boston fans won't be placing many bets. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, probably not. But I think you make a great point going into the All-Star break that that series with the Yankees, I mean, obviously a New York and Boston series always gets hyped to the, you know, the magnitudes and, and to the hills. But it's a huge series for Boston, like you say. If they go in and lose two or three or get swept, the next thing you know, they could be, you know, I don't want to say done because it's way too early, but a lot of ground to catch up on, I guess, the way to put it. On the other hand... Like you say, they have a great week. They could be leading this division the next time we're having a podcast. Well, like you said, that's the problem. If they have a poor series against the Yankees, it's not just that they're six, seven games back. It's that they're seven games back, but they're also in fifth place in their own division. So they can't just – it's not like if you're – you know, say the Pirates. um, If the Cardinals did have a bad streak and the Pirates kept playing the way they do – then they can make up that same amount of they're trying to make up that same amount of ground, but it's only one team. If you're, it's not just you need to get hot if you're seven games back. It's you need to make sure no other team in your like no other team that's also um, chasing the leader of your division can get hot as well because you're just you start behind them and play the same. You're just the finish behind them. So. Well, and, and, and that's another interesting point is, you know, Boston is in last in their division. They're also six games back of first, yet they're only ahead of, if I'm if I'm, my math is right here, at four teams in the American League right now. So 
the wild card is they got to leap over a lot of teams to get to that fifth spot overall. It's it's kind of an interesting situation. You're not that far, but you're far in a lot in the same way, depending on how you look at it. Yeah, one one of the rare occasions where, which, to be fair, MLB is pushed. You want to win the division. Don't look at the wild card. If you can end up in a situation like this, the division is tempting, and it'll it'll keep them in the race as long, uh, unless they get uh, you know swept <laughs> this whole week. It'll keep them in the race till the thirty first. So. Uh, Mike, I'm going to ask you the same question I always ask, but I'm going to ask it a little differently. Uh, are the Red Sox buyers or sellers on the 31st? I think they're going to be, regardless of their situation, they're going to be a little of each. Okay. I think they've they've got some pieces they can move that are that are interesting. Uh, you know, in in sort of a Joe Kelly type of way, maybe Wade Miley could go back to the National League for someone desperate for starting pitcher with a little bit of uh, financial security. Uh, but they probably probably want to add at least a low-level guy or two to the bullpen. And depending on the imminent demise of Mike Napoli, maybe they're looking at another stopgap first baseman just to get through the season. Yeah, they could be a unique seller, but they aren't what I would think of as a traditional seller. They don't have a bunch of guys at the end of a one-year deal you know, to sell. I guess Napoli jumps off, but otherwise, I can't think of a, lot of, a whole lot of guys, you know, at the end, free agents that aren't coming back type of guys. Now, I'm, I mean, maybe if, if Victorino can stay healthy for a few weeks, you know, he's, he's got that name. sort of... Maybe Diazza in the same vein as well if they're struggling. I, I can see that. But then again, they could trade. They have a lot of names they could deal. You know, if they really wanted to start clearing up some of their outfield, they wanted to do that. If they wanted to start moving people, uh, I'm interested to see what Boston does the next three and a half, four weeks, and how they play. Frankly, yeah, they could. They could still go after someone like Hamels, move some prospects, and you know, double down if they're playing well. They could play well and decide they don't need anything and promote. And they could play poorly and still not really sell and just kind of ride it out. Well, and a Hamels move could also be a buy for today and to end the future, too, as, you're say- as you were kind of saying. I mean, it doesn't have to be a pure buy. I mean, he, he could be for the next three or four years. So, Let's face it, the Red Sox are always one off season away from contention with their uh, the bank account that they've got behind them. So, yeah, maybe, or maybe they could try and get creative and see if another team would be willing to do a uh, move like the Diamondbacks just did where you can pick up the prospects because you're taking some other player with an outside contract off the team's hand. I mean, I, I don't think uh, too many more teams are going to jump at the chance to trade away a first-round pick from <laughs> last year already the way the Diamondbacks did. But if you could even get, like, a B-level prospect and they uh, – because you're willing to take fifteen a fifteen million dollar salary off somebody's hands, say that doesn't necessarily have the financial wherewithal to hold on to that guy that's underperforming, then you can kind of do a a sell almost a sell move without actually selling off any of your pieces if you think you can compete next year. That's that's a good point, Ross, because it feels like to me the Red Sox have been kind of zigging when everybody else has been zagging the last few years. I mean, they did. 
all the veterans on one and two year deals and, and that worked. And then last year at this, the trade deadline, they traded for more major league ready pieces, which is something we haven't necessarily seen in the past. So uh, to your point, maybe we do see them take on some money in a unique way this year and, and trade that way, so to speak. I, I think that's a good call. Yeah, because, I mean, that's a place for a big market club to really flex their financial muscles. They, I mean, if a guy's better than what they've got out there, if you're the Red Sox, who cares if he's overpaid? You got more money than you know what to do with. You can't spend it anywhere. You just spent whatever it was, $100 million worth of guys and penalties in the J2 market. Like, that's, well, you don't have anywhere else to spend your money but the major league club. You might as well... Uh, take advantage of that well and and somebody said this to me this isn't my original thought but we're so conditioned that in the nba and and i guess in the nhl every trade is basically contract for contract it's not player for player necessarily i think that's what threw us off so much with the Toussaint trade a couple weeks ago is that was just a we're dumping a contract and here's what it's going to cost to get out of this deal and i i don't think we're used to that in major league baseball maybe that is the next frontier of trades maybe that is what we start seeing is really what is the contract rather than what is the player and and the statistics we're trading on the back of the baseball card as i said i know like last year the bucks were able to pick up an extra first round pick because they were willing to take jared dudley off the uh clippers hands because they didn't think he was worth his i don't it was only five million dollar contract and they turned out to be wrong but yeah in other sports you see this all the time where um, guys are moved for, you're like, well, how in the world are you, you know, you're trading for a guy that hasn't played in two years just because, and you're giving up your own, you know, you're giving up, uh, they're giving you that in a first round pick to get a guy. And like, I think maybe though, that's because all those other leagues have a salary cap, whereas baseball, I mean, there's the luxury tax, but there's for a team with the money, there's no theoretical upper limit of where they can go. So you don't think about, you know, bat, having to move around contracts in the same way you do in uh, NBA or NHL or where there's a uh, hard salary cap with their guaranteed deals. Uh, absolutely. Uh, uh, I loved this segment, guys, but I, I'm going to try to transition real quickly because I do have one more topic I want to get into before we get out of here. Uh, Pete Rose, uh, I think, certainly since I've done a podcast, I think the other fellows did one last week. Uh, News came to light about Pete that uh, I think the suspicions that we've all had for a long time that he had bet on the game while he was managing and bet on his own team. Uh, I guess the evidence came out that, yes, indeed, that happened. I, th- I think it's fair to say that's confirmed. I don't think these are allegations anymore. I think that's a, a statement of fact. Um, uh, I want to bring this up, and maybe I'll use myself as an example to start the conversation. Is I've always been a Pete Rose defender. Uh, I've met him a couple times when I was a kid. He was always a really nice guy. He signed autographs, all that. But I always just said, hey, this guy was a great ball player, and he deserves to be in. With this recent news that came out, I I find myself severely backtracking that position, and I think I'm now ready to say that I don't think Rose should be in. I think he should be mentioned. I don't think we should pretend that he didn't exist. But I I I think... Betting on the game is is really getting right to that thin line of is it sports or is it professional wrestling? And I love professional wrestling. It's great. But if we're starting to get to the idea that any part of this is predetermined, then I think we lose the entire sport. And I think that's really the only thing that you can't do in this sport that 
that can't be forgiven. And I'm kind of curious where you guys come on the on the Pete Rose thought because uh, this news, which really should not have been news in some ways, has really changed my opinion. Um, it, I feel like I've started with Ross a couple times tonight. So, so Mike, uh, how about uh, you start first here? Yeah, you know, I I really have felt the same the same way as you uh, in that. It seemed it. It's been kind of a MLB verse. You know, it's odd to say it, but the, the little guy, uh, you know, he he leads history in hits. Like he he was an amazing player. Like there's no, there's really no no other way to describe him. I, I think the in light of the, you know, not that these problems didn't exist before, but with uh, the unfortunately named steroid era, and the numbers of guys who deserve to be be in the Hall of Fame, but might have some uh, some secondary reason that is going to prevent them from getting through the voting process. It's like it's a museum, and the great achievements should be highlighted. That doesn't mean you have to put asterisks everywhere and uh, you know put a put a plaque that says he cheated. But you know, sure, you can put that there. Uh, but Ty Ty Cobb. Uh, was a terrible person. Uh, he just happened to play when you could say, "Oh, you know, it's old Gramps, and he's just old." But you know, he was like that when he was, you know, when he was young. He was he wasn't a nice individual, you know, human individual. But I think there's, and, and to the point I think you're making, there's a huge leap between that guy's a bad guy and he's doing something to theoretically bring down the the root of the of the game. I just think that's such a, and I think that's what you were saying. But uh, yeah, uh, he can have he can have his plaque as the leader in hits. That should be there. Does he get to be in the shrine? You know, maybe maybe not. But he he should be he should be recognized for his historical contributions to the game of baseball. You can't just brush him off. Ross, your thoughts? Well, I think there's there's two rules in life. You don't wear the shirt of the band you're going to see. And I you disagree. don't bet on the game. <laughs> that that's fine. It, that one's not as popular, but you know that's that's just my thought. Because you got to buy the shirt for the tour and put it on. So that's why you can't already have the one on. But uh, oh no, I, I'm with you. You can't wear the tour shirt. I'm with you. But if you bought, you know, you were there in '84, and now you're there in 2014, uh, and you're wearing the '84 tour shirt, you can rock the '84 yeah. tour shirt. Uh, that, that, that's fair. You I know, mean, if you're just... going to Metallica now, you can ride the you can wear the ride the lightning T-shirt from you know way back when. Oh, okay, yeah, that that's fair. I'd say, but if uh... you've been there, you can been. There. I, I'm going to represent, but I'm I'm with you on the. Uh, don't go get yeah. a shirt and 12 seconds later you're putting it on. That's a that's a fantastic saying. <laughs> I've never heard it before, and I love it. Yeah. <laughs> okay. So back on topic. Um, the thing about. This whole even, even if they were assuming that Pete Rose was being honest when he said the only bets he ever made were on the Reds, that he only bet on his team to win. Well, what about those days he didn't place a bet? Doesn't that kind of constructively tell all of his, the bookie and all the other guys in his little gambling ring, that Pete Rose, the manager, the player of on the Reds or the Phillies thinks they're going to lose that day. So I think that's the big reason why 
you can't allow players to gamble on the game because their inaction tells everyone else just as much as their action. So I think the compromise with a guy like uh, Pete Rose or if you're going to keep, you know, Barry Bonds out of the Hall of Fame for, well, I don't think that's neither here nor there. I know they were technically illegal. If they weren't testing for it, those guys weren't cheating. So I, I think they should all just be in. But there should almost be a disgraced wing of the Hall of Fame where Pete Rose doesn't get the induction, he doesn't get the ceremony, the pomp and circumstance, but you still have something in there to show his career because he's an important part of baseball history, kind of like Mike was saying, where you can kind of get that museum aspect of the Hall of Fame in there without necessarily giving the player the honor of being a Hall of Famer. Well, And I don't want to go down the steroids or what's better or what's worse, but it, it it feels like a massive difference to me between betting on the sport and trying to improve your performance. And like I said, I don't know that this is the time or the place to try to decide what is less bad, so to speak, in society. But it, it, I think most people would agree that gambling on the sport, particularly against your own team, is probably the worst thing you can do. Yeah. I, th- I think we need a. KG and the Professor three-hour podcast to hash out the uh, steroid era, but I feel like we've got the the Pete Rose angle covered pretty well in the little bit of time we've had to discuss it. Yeah, I tend to. So, uh, last thing, last topic we got to cover this week, guys. Um, I, I think we're done with the Pete Rose talk. Uh, Ross, you you sent me a direct message the other night. Um, in fact, it might have been last night. All these days blend together. Um, I, I kind of want to give you the floor to tell the story and and, and just kind of tell tell the story. All right, so I was at the Brewer game last night, uh, Brewers-Braves game last night, and we were sitting behind the Brewers dugout because uh, a friend of mine's dad has the 20-pack where he can use uh, for certain games. They can uh, He can trade in his tickets to get the, you know, the nice seats right behind the dugout. And since he's kind of a Braves guy from back when, there in Milwaukee, he uh, he used it for last night. And, um, in the ninth, the top of the ninth inning, a um, there's a foul ball line drive right off the bat into the crowd, um, and it caught a woman above the left eye. And there was about a ten minute delay while the um, paramedics and the Brewers uh, um, event staff tended to her, and then there was you know a good bit of blood and that they had to clean up afterwards, and she ended up... She kind of walked out on her own power, but then she couldn't go up the stairs, so they put her in a uh, kind of a modified stretcher that can be a wheelchair as well and had to carry her up. And I just want to remind everybody that it's dangerous when you're down there in the 10th row, or even, forget about behind the dugout, even if you're just up, you know, you're up the follow line somewhere, that these balls are moving. And even if you... You know, if you don't have a glove on, and even if you do, you're not, you might not have time to react. That uh, it's dangerous there. There's a reason that they have the beware of flying bats and ball signs, and just always, always keep your eye on the field when the uh, when the ball's in play, and uh, and especially if you have uh, small children around you, just to make sure you keep them safe because it it wasn't a pretty sight last night, and uh, luckily the um, hospital that she got taken to did. Um, put out a statement today that she's okay, but 
you know, if that had been a couple inches to the right, she would have been catching it between the eyes, and who knows how bad that situation could have been. So just always remember to be smart and be safe when you're at these games. I know I remember when I was a kid in, uh, forget where, but a, uh, like a um, young girl died at an NHL game, getting hit with the puck that went into the stands. So it's kind of... Brittany Cecil. Yep. Yep. When they put the nets up. So, it's, you know, it's kind of the same thing that it's a unique experience to be able to catch a foul ball. And I know I, I caught a foul ball a couple of years ago and it was cool and a lot of fun and one of my favorite stories. But, but, we, but to have that luxury and not have the nets all around, we have to... You're opening yourself up to some risk and danger. So just remember to be smart and if you're that if you're close, don't be looking down at your cell phone right as the pitch is going off. It's kinda like when you're driving. That text message can wait a minute until you get to your destination. Just keep your head up, keep your eyes on the field, and just make sure you're staying safe at these games. Yeah, I mean we we touched on this topic I I believe a few weeks ago when the I, I believe it was a lady as well was hit in uh, Fenway Park in Boston. And and luckily it sounded like she, you know, turned out okay, whatever okay is. Um like you're saying, this woman last night seems like she's going to be okay as well. But I also feel like uh, we've now dodged two pretty near whatever experiences here. Maybe, maybe we don't want to have a third one type of a thing, guys. So, Ross, I, I'm glad just to – I don't know if we're the people that should be sending out public service announcements or whatever, but uh, it's a good reminder. Everybody that's listening to this podcast goes to baseball games, and uh, it's really scary how quickly – that ball can jump up on you and I go to a lot of minor league games and those nets are not always the the most solidly constructed or the extremely large and long so uh keep an eye out really really keep an eye out guys okay uh on that down note I, I don't like starting or stopping kind of on a, a sour note so uh how about we uh get out of here by saying something positive Mike um have a Twitter handle, how much you love the Red Sox. I don't know, something uplifting. Okay. Uh, <laughs> get Twitter. It's at Mike Uh I have a quick all-star memory. All right. So my, my favorite all-star game, I think it was 1990. Can't remember for sure. Uh, Cecil Fielder was at bat. He only appeared three times in the all- He was only in three all-star games. But I think it was this first one. And... It was um, what's his, it was uh, t- Tim McCarver was calling the game, and he uh, Cecil Fielder like like his son was a large man. I don't remember who was pitching, but they said he was. It was like he was bowling, and either Tim McCarver or the guy he was paired with said, "But Cecil Fielder is larger than the average sized pen," and. I just thought that was hilarious as a kid. <laughs> like he's bowling and he's a big pen. It's like that doesn't quite make sense. The bowling part sort of works, but you well, do try to hit the pen. But in baseball, you're not trying to hit the pen, so it's it's an odd analogy. It just seemed funny. Hey, for McCarver, he's doing great. Yeah, <laughs> it's one of those. One of those baseball sayings that just kind of came and went, and before anyone knew that it didn't make sense, they were on to the next thing. <laughs> Sometimes that's that's so great. Uh, okay, uh, Ross, kind of same deal. Get us out of here. Yeah, uh, you know, Twitter is just uh, at Ross Buckowitz, and um, I was saying last night. I think I tweeted it uh, 
going to the ballpark's fun. It doesn't matter that the Brewers are terrible. Having that, you know, we're sitting around or with chicken wings on the grill, drinking a beer with some of your, you know, with your good buddies. It's day at the ballpark or night at the ballpark is one of the best things you can do. It's so much fun and yeah, just appreciate baseball. Yeah, well, well said, Ross, and um, just ditto. A- any chance you can get out during the summertime and, and catch a game in the evening, there's nothing better. You know, that's Americana at its finest, America, whatever you want to call it. So uh, get out to the game, enjoy the park, because next thing you know, we're all going to blink and it's going to be freezing weather again. So, All right, guys, uh, great show this week, covered a lot of ground, and um, I hope to have you guys back here in the relatively near future. Likewise, thanks for having us. Yeah, and come back up to Milwaukee to visit again sometime soon. Yeah, I will. And next time we're not drinking summer shanties by Lion Kugel. We're drinking something else. (laughs) Oh, yeah. So, all right, guys. Great uh, great talking to you guys again, and I'm sure we'll have you guys back on later this summer. All right. Sounds good, Ryan. Yeah, looking forward to it. And that was episode 26 of the Banish to the Pen podcast with Ross Buckowitz and Mike Carlucci. Thanks, guys, for coming on. Uh, really always, you know, just great to have you guys on. Both uh, terrific assets to the site and uh, very good members of the podcast. So also, as I do every week, I'd like to thank all the writers, the editors, contributors, basically everybody involved uh, with Banished to the Pen. We're doing a great product every day, and a lot of people are working very hard to put that product on the table every single day. So check us out. Bookmark us. Check us out with your cup of coffee in the morning and uh, make sure to download us and rate and review this podcast, too. If you want to help us out, that would be awesome as well. This episode is a wrap. I am your host, Ryan Sullivan, at NatsGM.com on Twitter, reminding you, be nice to your fellow listeners.